I'm going to read some scripture, and as Steve comes up to share that with you, I want to give you a little bit of context. We have been talking throughout this month since Easter about all those appearances that Jesus had with his disciples after his resurrection. Today, though, we're not talking about one of those appearances. We're talking about the community of faith as it gathered together right after the resurrection, still trying to make sense of how they were going to move out and be the church, the disciples of Jesus. So we find them here, worshiping and facing a challenge they had. That is to say they had to find another leader because um, the one who betrayed Jesus, Judas, was no longer in the group. So they were lacking a leader. And they're struggling with how to figure out how to go about selecting the 13th disciple. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed. O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Steve. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Loving God, we, like they long ago, want to hear from you. In whatever way you choose to reveal yourself today, on matters of what we're called to do next, of how we are to be prepared to face tomorrow, of what it is that we ourselves can do to be faithful. So we pray that the revealing of your holy word, the message as it comes to us today through my words, through worship, through prayer, through fellowship, however it may come, open our hearts that we would receive and then live faithfully. It is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. I was raised 
on the main streets of Dodds Road in Genesee County. It was there that I was taught all of the things that I would need to know about life. I learned card playing early, euchre, with my elder relatives. I drank Kool-Aid with pure sugar by the gallons. Yeah, it was a rough league, rough neighborhood, and I learned a lot of lessons that have carried me throughout life. But I couldn't learn on Dodge Road what I would learn later by watching musicals. How to play craps. I remember first watching the musical stylings of Marlon Brando teaching me how to play a floating crap game in Guys and Dolls. I watched as they learned to take the dice and put them in their hands in a very mysterious way and never let them be still but always move them around. I learned that you had to talk to your dice. Come on, baby. Come on. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. And other important phrases like that. And I learned that dice must get dusty a lot. Because you got to blow on them. <laughs> and once you've done that and you've shaken them... You got to get low. You got to get real low to the ground. By digress, this is where I really considered can I get on my knees for this sermon as important as it might be? I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> okay, now I'm back in character. So you got to get low to the ground, or as low as you can get. So you get low and let them go. And there's a moment where everyone waits to see what your role, because your entire future hangs in the balance, whether you got the numbers you need or not, and you'll crap out. So you hang, and you go, and you look, and you go, it's Matthias. <laughs> I mean, really, it's that silly. Jesus has gone... They're left with each other, and they've got to figure out what to do next because they need another leader. Why? Well, because there was a lot of work to do. They had to spread the gospel, and Jesus had figured that they needed 12, so they weren't going to go against what Jesus said, and so they decided they needed another one to fill Judas's place. They needed a 13th, 12th disciple. They gathered together to talk about it, and they did set a criteria. They said, whoever we're going to select has to have this as their base knowledge. They have to be someone who is with Jesus from the time he was baptized through his ministry. And this one has to be able to give witness to the resurrection. And what that means is 
This one has to be able to give personal testimony of experiencing the resurrection of Jesus and then be able to communicate that and share that with others because that's the deal. That's the most important message. Guys, who just got your Bible. The whole Bible hinges for us on the fact that Jesus, on Easter morning, was raised from the dead. That's the most important moment. you got to be able to know that and to tell others about it. And they decided with those criteria and looking who the candidates were, they had two to pick from. Matthias and also Joseph Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice. Now part of me in writing the sermon thought, why they picked Matthias because the other guy's got too many names, it's just confusing. But that's not what they did. After setting their criteria and raising up the two, they cast lots. They had a religious floating crap game. And Matthias was selected. Now the truth is, they're not alone in believing that God reveals whatever God needs us to know in the action of casting lots. There are several places in Jewish scripture where we see that that's actually how they discerned it. So there's precedent. We also know that the disciples had begun to figure out that sometimes hearing what God needs to say to us, what God wants us to do, is not as, not as simple as going to a Bible and just reading the words. We have to have a sense of trust that God reveals in a variety of ways. And so they threw the dice, believing that after they had set the criteria that they set, that whoever was called and selected out of this rolling of the dice, God would be able to work through. And Matthias was selected. Now, I just want to be clear that in the United Methodist Church, we've gone from there to believing that gambling is not at all an appropriate lifestyle or activity. Now, I want to help you understand how much we believe that. We have what's called the Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline is our book that orders and structures our denomination and local churches. It is reviewed every four years. Some of the writing in here goes back all the way to the 1700s to John Wesley. Some of it has been revised as recently as 2016. And in one section, there's a, there's a small section that talks about our social principles. It talks about what we believe. And in here, I can tell you that there are statements on social issues that oftentimes frustrate people because they're not clear enough for those people. They, like, they, want, they want black and white, and, and the church understands that life is not always just black and white, and so it tries to talk about things to encourage dialogue and, and to help people really wrestle with the issues ethically, biblically, spiritually. And I remember a class long ago in my first church where we were teaching the social principles, and after 10 weeks, 
this class was fit to be tied. Because they kept hearing the church say, well, you know this, and there's this. They kept saying, the church isn't taking a stand on anything. Until that Sunday when I opened up, and by the way, paragraph 163, subset G, literally that's what it is. It says this. Gambling is a menace to society, deadly to the best interests of moral, social, economic, and spiritual life, and destructive of good government and good stewardship. And as an act of faith and concern, Christians should abstain from gambling and should strive to minister to those victimized by the practice. Including, now we're meddling, including public lotteries, Casinos, raffles, internet gambling, gambling with an emerging wireless technology, and other games of chance as a recreation, as an escape, or as a means of producing public revenue or funds for supporting charities or government. Take that! (laughs) Which is why... United Methodist women, United Methodist men, you can't do raffles. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. Because, see, the church has this vision that says what we have is God, so we want to use it to God's glory. And we've known people who have lost their lives and their families because of their gambling. We also know in society we have chosen to prioritize things in a way so we have to give gambling for seniors to have entertainment other, rather than giving them something else because we don't really value drawing entertainment for that age group. And, oh, by the way, let's prioritize public education enough so we have to fund it through gambling. Last I knew, the lottery's not paying for any fighter planes. And the church says that's sort of a screwed up priority list. Now, anybody play the lottery this week? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) But I see some of you are fighting really hard the ethical issue of being honest in the moment or not. And so I just read to you that we will not tolerate gambling. However, if you win the lottery, we will switch and talk about tithing and proportional giving. (laughs) I want to set the record straight right now. We can redeem your sinfulness in one check if you just work with me. Do I think the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket because you played a lottery ticket? No. Do I worry sometimes that people spend their time fantasizing about winning the lottery more than dreaming about what God may want for their life? Yes. Do I think the world would end if the church had a raffle? No. Would I rather raise up 
disciples of Jesus Christ who express generosity so radically that we don't have to have a raffle to support ministry and witness Christ in the world? Yes. You see, I don't think the lottery of a raffle in the church is the biggest risk-taking we make. We say we have a practice called safe sanctuary. We value it. We ask for all of our leaders working with children and vulnerable adults to practice in safe sanctuary. We do background checks because we want to make sure you know that your children are safe anytime they're here in the church and that we are practicing safe sanctuary. We value that. I just think it's an ironic term. Sanctuary in the sense of a place where people can be safe, yes, but there's no place in the world where the sanctuary should be thought of as a safe place. Because here lives have the risk of being changed forever. Here, we risk and gamble every day on this simple fact that what we need to do is bigger than we can do on our own, and we're going to trust God to come in and make it happen. Some examples. Reverend Laura Spearin, our deacon, chairs the board of ordained ministry for the entire Michigan area. She is responsible, and those who work with her, of selecting people who say, we believe we're called for ministry, of sorting out the ones who really need to, who need to, get, who get to come forward and be ordained and commissioned and licensed and such. Do we always get it perfectly right? I don't know. We do the best we can, right? And there was a time in which all three of us went through the process, and they said yes to us. You can determine later what you think of that decision. But after, after the theology papers are written and the interviews are done, it comes down to this. Are the people we're calling forward not equipped with great talents and skill, but do they literally believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and are willing to submit to the Lord? I mean, if I can write great theology and not witness Jesus, Andrew Lee, a pastor that some of you know because he used to be your district superintendent, always said it this way. He said, after everything said and done, the only thing I want to know from a candidate is this. If I ask them the question, who is Jesus, they better say Jesus is their Lord. They better get in right relationship with this Jesus. It's the same for us. Are we willing, like those disciples long ago, throw in the lots, like those of us who in the process have worked with, and I've worked on the board too, to help make decisions and our best discernment to actually end up trusting God to make the decision? Yeah, we, we, we risk that. We believe it. The church, when it's best, never plays it safe. But trust in that which we believe in God who is bigger than us to do what we can't do on our own. And what I've come to learn in all these years of ministry is whenever the church steps back and chooses to play it safe because it doesn't want to risk, what we're really saying is we're not willing to trust that God might move. Take a look around you. 
in this endeavor of ministry expansion. When we voted on it, it had a 99% affirmation vote. We are the ones who are going to make this work. Look, take a look around. Would you go into a business venture with these people? <laughs> not, not unless they were leading from their knees. Not unless we really believed that the gap that we can't do on our own will be met by the movement of God in our midst, that Jesus Christ would be revealed and people will act not because of logic and talent, but because of faith. A gamble I'm willing to take. For after all is said and done, I've come to trust that God does act is revealed, is alive, is present, is with you. So what I want to ask you is this. With whatever you're facing this week, what challenges you face in your family, at your work, maybe even in the church, how are you going about figuring out how to meet those needs? Are you relying on your talent, on your experience, on your hopes, on your dreams, or your faith and the living God? Second graders, you were just given this Bible. It's the best book I ever received. And I hope you love your Bible as much as I love mine. And I hope you get to read it and find in here all the ways in which Jesus loves you. And that more than that wants to help you live the life that God wants you to live. It doesn't have any magical power. It just introduces you to a powerful God. And parents and grandparents of those who are receiving this Bible. If your kids read their Bible without you reading your Bible, their ability to understand the Bible diminishes radically. So I say this in all seriousness. If you have your Bible at home and haven't read it for a while, take this as an opportunity to read it with your kids. I can promise you this. I'm not being silly or flippant. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'll get one for you to take home today too. Because if we read this, we understand we aren't gambling. We're committing to a God who's bigger than us. Any of the rest of you got a dusty Bible at home? What are you gambling on? What are you risking? Is it hard sometimes to understand? Yes. You want a Bible class to help you learn how to read it? I'll drop right now and teach it whenever you're ready to come in and talk about it. Why it matters is because every morning you and I get up making decisions that we will act and live trusted in all kinds of things. And this is the day for you to remember the church began by people throwing some dice and literally believing they could trust in God to answer. 
Over 2,000 years later, that church still exists. The Bible is still real. Jesus is still living and moving, and God is still standing right next to you today like your second graders and saying to you, are you willing to bet on me today? Or do you want to keep living your life hoping against hope? The invitation and the decision is for you to respond to. Thanks be to God that we have the choice and one who lives with us. Amen.